Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something epic. This is Paratroop Radio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. As far as I know, that's not changing. Hopefully. I don't know. I mean, we might just have to become Justric. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not even start that. We've got friends who will take that way too seriously. Or Ariston. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Anyway, folks, it's December 4th when you're listening to this episode, so that means we're kicking off the Christmas season. Holy crap, I hope everybody had a really good Thanksgiving. I know we skipped last week, so I know that's kind of a a delay on our happy Thanksgiving, or hope you had a good Thanksgiving, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. thing that we do every year. Anyway, with that said, we decided to kick off the Christmas season. before we move forward, did you... Did you get a chance to get a recording of the Gobble Squatch? Shit. <laughs> I totally forgot. You know, oh man. <laughs> I I was thinking about it Wednesday night too. So I was out Wednesday night, uh, you know, the night before uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I mean, yeah. and I was thinking to myself, I was like, I really should put this in my calendar. And then, you know, I'm getting older and my mind just drifted and I forgot all about it. <laughs> And then, yeah, I forgot. Dang it. (laughs) Now I won't know till next year. (laughs) Set it on your calendar for next year. Right now for next year, 2023. (laughs) Thanksgiving 2023, gobble squatch. (laughs) Set it for 8 p.m. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So the answer is, yeah, no, I forgot. Dang it. (laughs) I was really, I really wanted to do a live session too. I was like looking forward to it that entire week. Uh, Let myself down again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, about... with your parents living in an area that's kind of wooded, well, it, that was it would be kind of cool. Too. Yeah, <laughs> that was the plan. But, you know, you know, my life is just full of regret. I just keep adding to it. Just keep <laughs> digging that hole. I'll bury myself in it eventually. You'll get anyway. there. <laughs> <laughs> so today we decided to go ahead and kick off our Christmas season, not by talking about Christmas, but instead having a guest on to talk about Ouija boards and talking boards. His name is John Kozik, and he grew up in America's hometown, Plymouth, Massachusetts, where he was close with his grandmother, Franny. So close, in fact, that some of his earliest memories are watching her use a Ouija board. Her hands would fly across the board with each message rubbing more and more of the ink away. After she passed, John inherited her worn board, sparking his collecting obsession. Now, John is a musician, writer, and manager, recording and touring the world over the past 30 years and appearing on over 40 records to date. 
He is a founding member and treasurer of the Talking Board Historical Society, a nonprofit that researches, preserves, and celebrates the history of talking boards. In 2019, John opened the Salem Witchboard Museum, the world's only museum dedicated to the history and lore of Ouija and talking boards. So without further ado, let's go to the line with John Kozik. John, welcome to Paratruth Radio. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, yeah, it's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, I met you last month, actually, um, when I happened across your uh, the Salem Witchboard Museum. I didn't know it existed, actually, before going out there, and I was pleasantly surprised to find one because my cousin and I have talked about Ouija boards uh, a lot <laughs> over the years. Uh, so meeting someone like yourself who's extremely knowledgeable uh, in this device is really cool. Um, so one thing I want to do is just kind of get the backstory as to how you got started collecting Ouija boards and what really, um, I, guess, I guess, what sparked your interest in them. Yeah, well, it started with my uh, my grandmother. I inherited her board. And before I inherited it, you know, I would see her use it um, by herself in a room with other people. And she would go very fast on it. She could move the planchette super fast. And she would yell out letters and numbers quicker than anyone could write them down. Um, but I was never allowed to be in that room with her. So I'd spy from like a top stair or through the window. And um, when she passed away in the late 90s, I inherited the board. And I went online to learn a little bit more about it, and I was just blown away. I had always thought that the Ouija board pretty much looked like that traditional Parker Brothers uh, style. And what I found was hundreds, if not thousands, of different boards. And so I became just very obsessed with wanting to know as much as I could about them. And, of course, uh, I'm a collector, uh, so I, I started collecting them as, as many as I could find. And about six years into collecting... I finally met a few other collectors, uh, Robert Merch and my friend Calvin Von Crush, and we ended up forming the Talking Board Historical Society. So I'm part of a registered nonprofit, and we research, preserve, celebrate the history of these boards. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, three years ago I opened the museum, which is the world's only Ouija board museum. And just a few months back, I left my job of 22 years to just work at the museum full time. So uh, inheriting that board is really where it starts and um, set me down quite the rabbit hole. Oh. That, yeah, that is an interesting story in and of itself. Not just inheriting the Ouija board from your grandmother, but then <laughs> it's spiraling into this lifelong pursuit. Um, now, Eric and I have also had experiences with Ouija boards. We haven't just talked about them. We've had experiences with them in, at an early age. Um, something that I have found for a very long time, and Eric had kind of mentioned this to me, that uh, you believe them that to be tools, which I do agree. They're tools to people that are um, honed and uh, have, have learned to protect protect themselves and use the Ouija board as a tool. But something that has bothered me for years, and I want your opinion on this, is that, as you mentioned, Parker Brothers basically um, markets this as a game, as a toy. And I don't think that that's right or fair to be subjecting unknowing kids 
to something that they should be taught to use. And there's nothing against them using that if the parents are knowledgeable and can teach them the proper way to use it. But what are your thoughts on it being marketed as a game? Well, I mean, certainly that's where most of the negative uh, association comes with, you know, the fact that it's marketed to kids and they have access to it and they don't take it seriously. Um, but it's always been considered a game. It's actually patented as a game and taxed as a game. Um, that's how we get to where we are. But <clears throat> interesting enough, uh, to take you back a little ways to the history a little bit, uh, to how it, we get to where we are, is in 1890, when it was patented by uh, Elijah Bond and his sister-in-law, Helen Peters, um, it shouldn't have been patented, first of all, because it already existed in this homemade form that had mm -hmm. been used for, you know, couple 20 plus 30, 20, 30 years. Right. And so patenting it as a game was their greatest chance of getting it patented. Um, so it gets patented as a game. And this is kind of the beginning of the IRS. And actually, uh, the manufacturers are not paying taxes. In 1920, the IRS went looking for back taxes owed. And they actually submitted bills to all of the um, talking board companies. And one of them in particular, the Baltimore talking board company, they claimed they weren't a game they were something else and they actually sued the irs and they took it to court and the court ruled it a game and then they took it up to the supreme court who refused to hear the case so it was always considered a game the only difference is in 1890 when it came out uh, there were no toy stores and you went to a general store and you looked through a catalog ordered your goods and had it delivered toy stores do start to appear around say 1920 and those manufacturers working with wood are definitely you know working with dollhouses and pull toys and those kind of things mm -hmm. um but parker brothers taking it over in 66 uh the very first year it outsells monopoly a million boards are sold and that is a whole different level uh, of now it's close more closely associated as being a game and marketing as such but um i agree with you you know people using the board should have some responsibility to it and have a little bit of education about it um and that is certainly almost all the negative stories you hear are because of, of kids not really taking it seriously. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I noticed like as I was walking around museum, and for those of you who, who are listening tonight, I, I visited this museum uh, last month. And one thing that I noticed is that many of those boards that you have are coming from various states, uh, like I don't know if you have any from other countries or not, but definitely from other states. Um, and one in particular that, that I came across or that I noticed was, of course, one that looked like it was from a was it Goldsmith Publishing Company in Cleveland, Ohio. Now everyone knows I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so, like, how does how does that work? Like, they were people able to, uh, or were there various companies that are able to take license? and produce their own version or like how, how does that work not at, so when when ouija gets patented in 1890 the patent gives them 16 years exclusivity before anyone else could make a talking board mm -hmm. and a talking board is really defined as you know an alphabet board with a pointing device and so after that 1907 then yes, anyone can make a talking board. They can call it a mystic board, a mystery board. They just can't use the word Ouija, which is a brand name. And so the history of that brand is manufacturers constantly trying to steal it, whether they misspell it like W-H-E-E-G-E-E, -E -E, 
or um, you know, just steal it outright and spell it correctly and try to get away with it as long as they can. Uh, so really, in the museum, uh, you see just in the 1940s, probably close to you know 50 different manufacturers making the board during World War II. Okay. So it's just a, the fact of like people trying to find loopholes and profiting off of it. Exactly. I mean, it, it's very popular during the war. And so most of the companies are kind of cashing in on it while it's popular. And then as soon as that war is over, most of them go away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's why they're very rare. Most of the stuff in the museum, uh, you know, on average, if I told you that there's less than 50 known of each of those boards, it's a pretty high number, you know, because they just couldn't, you know, once the war was over or people weren't interested, they couldn't compete against the brand or they infringed on the brand. Mm-hmm. Okay. So out of all the Ouija boards that, that you have in the museum, um, are any of them, do any of them have to be like kept away or locked away in under glass or anything because of any type of attachments or anything? Well, I mean, there are there are four boards in the museum right now uh, that were donated. They're part of a, a larger collection of about 30 that have been donated over the years uh, okay. to the Talking Board Historical Society. Uh, those uh, three of them are behind glass. One is just mounted to the wall. Um, but actually, for me, you know, I don't there's no activity on them that I feel people are drawn to them. Certainly a lot of people are drawn to those certain boards. Um, but for me, um, I just view it as the tool and not necessarily as the person or entity uh, that you're speaking with. And so my logic behind them is, is to think of them more like a cell phone. And so, you know, if you used my cell phone and had a bad conversation with it, I wouldn't necessarily sage it or break it or burn it, something like that. So with the boards, they're not necessarily behind glass because anything happens. It's just that um, that's just the, the way they're displayed in the museum. Okay. Mm-hmm. Staying on the I think the idea of the negative impact that some boards have had with people or people have had with boards, uh, I did notice that in the museum there was a particular board with a letter that was written on the side or a note. And I, I wasn't there for the entire conversation, but I overheard you talking to uh, another group of people when I was there about that. Could you just kind of share a little details on, on that particular uh, board? Sure. That one I think is pretty interesting. I, I kind of keep it up. Uh, because uh, it's made in 2017, and it's from the TV show Stranger Things. So it's a fairly recent board, Mm -hmm. but what's funny about it is, you know, it changes a lot of people's ideas about how old something is to be haunted. You know, typically most people tend to think something has to be very old, usually not as recent as 2017. Uh, The previous owner of the board had a bad experience with it, and they spent $15 to $20 to mail it away, and they didn't put a return address on the package. They put a note inside with the board and the note basically says, if you find it, forward it to the Talking Board Historical Society. Trust me, you don't want it. And so uh, for me, I'm okay that I don't know the whole story. I know that it must have been bad and they were obviously worried that the board was going to find its way back to them. Okay. Now, in your personal opinion, is that a possibility of something like that happening? Like, you hear stories all the time about, oh, yeah, I burned this Ouija board, but the next day it was in my closet. I hear those stories all the time. I hear people, you know, uh, throwing them away and they're finding a way back. And I believe they believe that for sure. Okay. 
that well, that's an interesting comment actually that he just made that you believe that they believe that for sure um it, it, just in your opinion so if someone were to say that they burned or threw away would you board and then it reappeared uh i mean obviously you weren't there none of us were there to to witness that so do you think there's a possibility that they're making something up just for the story or is it more so of i don't know like they maybe they threw it away and then they were spiritually driven to take it back and put it in the house without recognition of it happening now i'll i'll start off by telling you first of all i don't use the ouija board so you know i want to put it in perspective for any listeners out there uh, as i don't use the board and i don't use it because i'm afraid of it or anything like that quite the opposite uh i don't use it because my grandmother had such a strong connection to the board i just don't when i try to use it it doesn't work the same way for me and so because i'm also a musician you know my popular comparison would be you know if jimi hendrix was my father i wouldn't want to play guitar i'm not going to be as good on guitar mm. so to put it in perspective as far as you know what I believe about people using the board, I don't use it. So, you know, I would not call myself an expert on using the board. But that being said, I've heard hundreds, if not thousands of stories, you know, people come in the museum just to tell me their story. And I have yet to hear any story where I think the person is lying to me. So I believe they believe they've experienced whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So when I hear stories of people using a board inside their house, and it started raining in the house, or when they lit a board on fire and it came back to them, I don't believe those things are possible, but I believe they believe those things happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you mentioned that your grandmother was good with the board and used it. Uh, probably a dumb question, but did she consider herself a, a psychic or a medium? I don't believe so. It's hard to say because uh, I didn't have those conversations with her about it. Uh, I would say she's a very spiritual woman, for sure. Okay. Uh, she aligned very closely with Native Americans, not only with the Wampanoag tribe uh, down Cape Cod, where she would go to the, the wigwams and their retreats, but also the Seminole Indians down in um, uh, Florida. And so definitely a very spiritual, per- spiritual person. Um, and using the board... Besides a few stories that I've heard, uh, you know, using it, ask about my aunt's relationship or uh, define certain things. Um, those are the only real things that I know that she really used it for. Um, but like I said, she was very fast on it. So she definitely had a very strong connection to it. Okay. Now, one thing I do want to ask is how either in your professional opinion or in your own research or your studies uh how did pop culture have an impact on the ouija board and was it in your opinion a positive or negative impact i mean it it's i think today you would say it's a, it's a negative impact for sure mm-hmm. there's only really horror movies about this board there's not really rom-coms or you know comedies about this uh so of course that's going to be in a negative light but it's been in pop culture from the beginning. I and mean, you're talking songs written about the Ouija board in the 1920s that were love songs asking the Ouija to help find them love. Um, certainly the covers of all the magazines, everything from Popular Science to um, uh, Saturday Evening Post with Norman Rockwell. So, you know, there's, there's, it's been in pop culture from the beginning. It's never really gone away. But today uh, it's changed quite a bit from like when I mentioned those 1920s uh, magazine covers those 
covers, there's nothing negative on there. There's kids using it, couples, women using it alone. It's just not viewed the same way people think of it today. But certainly with uh, horror movies and, and, and whatnot, and also being marketed to kids, then that's where, you know, today it's more of a negative light. Right. Now, have there ever been any stories um, that you've come across that stick out more than others? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> now, mo I can tell you that most of the stories I hear when people come in the museum, for instance, they're coming to tell me stories that people didn't believe them or they laughed at them. They want mm. some validation as to what happened. And most of those stories would be negative stories. But uh, a couple, um, a few months ago now, a woman from New Zealand actually came in and she told me that she had lost her son about five years ago. And first of all, I can't imagine that kind of pain or that loss that she has. But she told me she uses the Ouija board and what that means to her. She was in the museum for pretty close to two hours talking to me about those conversations. And that's a nice reminder for me, you know, as to why this board exists. You know, it comes out to help people who have suffered loss, who are looking for answers, finding comfort and closure from them. And um, those kind of stories, sadly, I don't hear them as often as I would like. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> is there a, a particular board uh, within your collection that really either a sticks out to you or just you find most favor or in i do i mean they all i love all of them truly but my favorite board is uh, this metal board that i have from the 1930s and uh it was pretty unique the fact that it was metal the planchette that came with it which i don't have it's like the grail that i hunt for every day is a metal planchette that had ball bearing casters it had a battery and a light bulb inside of it and there's little bumps on the board, and when the planchette passed over it, it would light up or flicker. And yeah. so today we only know of seven of those boards, only four planchettes that still exist. And um, when that became available, um, it was being sold as part of a, a large collection, a guy that would not sell the one item. And so within two hours, I secured the funding, I rented a car, I picked up my best friend Merch in Boston, and we drove 21 hours straight down to Florida to get it. And uh, it was quite the adventure to do that with him. And while we were driving there, other people were trying to make their own deals. And really, we didn't know until we got there if the guy would still honor the deal. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to own that board. And um, Merch, uh, he actually was able to hunt down uh, the president of Ouija back in 1933, mm -hmm. this guy named Hubert Fold. And he got to interview him on his deathbed about the board. And so he brought the board to him, and uh, Hubert was lying in bed. He handed it to him and Hubert took it and smiled and handed it right back. He was like, I never want to see that board again. It's something he hadn't seen in probably close to 70 years, but he was reminded, you know, he almost ruined the family business. And in that interview, he says that the failure was justified because he shouldn't have messed with the success of the Ouija. So even in 1933, during that depression, they still had three factories in Baltimore that were producing that one board. So it's not that people didn't want to use the Ouija board, they just didn't want to spend a little bit more money, five dollars, uh, for something they could get for a dollar fifty, which was the average price. Right. So that's my that's my favorite board in the museum for sure. Hmm. So I mean, one, do you know exactly how many of those particular type of boards are produced, and what happened to the majority of them if there's only so many that are really that we know of in existence? 
I can't tell you how many were made total okay. to begin with, but I can tell you that when World War II came, they scrapped them for the war. Got it. Okay. So, you know, this was made in the 30s, and of course it didn't sell very well. And so by World War II, they, they ended up scrapping them. And um, today, right, as of, as of this moment, there's seven uh, boards, four planchettes, and hopefully more will come out. <clears throat> so something that I've seen recently... And uh, it's interesting to me. Game, uh, I'm sorry, not GameStop. Ghost Hop has invented kind of like an electronic Ouija board. It's a a electronic device that's got letters A through Z, uh, smiley faces, uh, numbers, all this type of other stuff on there. Almost like a cell phone, basically. But it's just plain text, and they're can be an audio aspect to it but um what what is your opinion or, or um thoughts on electronic versus the classic board hmm i've not seen one of these in myself i've heard a few people talk about them it certainly sounds interesting and in, in anything that really helps uh, ouija or talking boards you know uh, remain popular. I'm all for it. Um, but I would suppose that I would be more of a traditional person where I, I'm a collector. I tend to like, you know, items and objects and hunting them down. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's the same thing with like digital media and things like that. Where it's like, no, no, no. I want the hard copy. I want, I want to have something in my hand that I can look at anytime or, or things like that. So, uh, that would be my first, but if it's working, um, then I'm all for it, you know? Okay. So, so far up to this point, the widget board and just the talking board in general is very popular. Uh, we always come across people who are either using it or who have experience, have experience with it. Uh, do you think, uh, like trying to think forward to the future, that the physical widget board or talking board, is that something that you think is really here to stay? Or do you think it's truly like a dying breed, especially as more technology comes out? And now apparently we have these digital versions of the talking board. Uh, just what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. I haven't really given it too much thought. I mean, for me, uh, I guess, you know, it's hard. I'm like, I mean, you're making me think, you know, I've been a musician, like I said, and I've seen that industry change quite a bit. You're talking about working on movies. You've seen everything change to this more digital uh, way. Um, it makes sense that that's where things would go. But um, I don't know. I mean, part of the Ouija board is today is, you know, having it at a sleepover party and, you know, having people have their hands on it and touch multiple people. I don't know if using a phone or some kind of digital version of it, you would get that same vibe or same mm -hmm. feel, you know? Um, but I, I suppose you're right. It could definitely go that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I mean, over the years, I've, from what I've learned and what I understand about the Ouija board is, uh, you know, when, it, when you make contact with a spirit of some sort, it has to use your own energy to move the planchette so in a way it uses you and i just don't really see how that works digitally you know i mean there's this idea that spirits uh they they gain energy off of like a tr like off of electronics uh you know we see in the ghost hunts and stuff where people uh, their batteries 
fizzle out, you know, or certain digital devices go dead. Uh, they believe that's because it's energy being drawn from there. So I don't know if that's the reason why they can use these digital devices. Uh, but, and I don't know if you, you, you know anything about this or not, but when it comes to using the Ouija board, I know you don't partake in it. Um, what is like, do you know what the process is to actually sitting down and using the Ouija board? Like, do you have to have your head, like, is it like meditation where you have to have your head clear, uh, and allow yourself the, the, uh, ability to be open to a spiritual whatever <laughs> to, to have this happen? Absolutely. I mean, okay. uh, my friend Karen Dahlman, she's used the board for over 50 years and I've picked up a few things, uh, you know, when she talks about using the board and really it starts with intent, number one. Obviously, positive intentions will help bring positive results, but really, you know, you can influence that board quite a bit, whether you know it or not. And so, you know, su silly superstitions like using it alone, you know, if you believe you shouldn't use it alone and you do, there's a good a good chance that the experience you have, it's influenced. You believe you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. So it really is about your headspace and your positive intentions. And um, I think also sometimes some people are, you know, better using it than others. Uh, or just like my grandmother where it just flew out of her hands, you know, she was very fast uh, and it does not work the same for me. So I think, you know, part of it is, like for me, I'm very worried that it's not going to work like it did for her. And I think I'm going to influence it into not working well for me. So, it, you know, it is definitely all about your intentions and just really what you bring to it. And that's why it works differently for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. you, you using it and whatever conversation you have and then, uh, you know, Justin using it next, probably totally different experience using it. Okay. Now, um, kind of going along that, what kind of advice can you uh, give somebody that wants to explore it but aren't really sure about it? Like, as far as um, intention and all that, what can they do to be in a good mindset to, to interact with, with the boards? I mean, it, it goes by the person, but I mean, they could be everything from, you know, having a picture of somebody with them, their lucky coin, something that they feel comfortable doing, lighting candles or saying a prayer. Um, there's quite a few things that can help you put into the environment that you're in uh, to do that. I would definitely suggest, though, if you're, you know, a little apprehensive to use the board, you probably shouldn't, you know. Um, and if you're seriously want to, then, uh, like I mentioned, that my my friend Karen, she has a YouTube channel where she goes over a lot of these different things, and it's something that I always kind of push people towards to like watch those videos and kind of see what resonates with you as to what how you'd want to set yourself up to uh, to want to use it. Because uh, I definitely I tell people that if they're nervous, you shouldn't do it. So basically, setting the intention to protect yourself without necessarily protecting yourself. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's, be, yes, that sounds right. Yes. It would be similar as like, you know, being noticeably afraid of an animal, especially something like a dog or, or some sort of creature that can hurt you because they kind of sense that. You don't want to be around, yes. you know, 
a shark if you're going to be scared uh, because that's going to get them all riled up. Uh, so in the same sense, you want to be careful around the Ouija board because you never know what you're really going to conjure up based on your own emotions. No, I think that, that's a good analogy for sure. And uh, I would just remind people that, you know, if they do have it and they've, you know, seen horror movies or heard bad stories about it, just always, for me, keeping it the, uh, the perspective of like a cell phone where you just stop talking. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, if you don't like the way the conversation is going, you just stop. Okay. Now, on that kind of, of mindset, there, I'm not sure if it's in the instructions or not for the for the Ouija board, but um, a lot of people say you should say goodbye or, or give some type of indication that the conversation is over and you're disconnecting. Um, what what are your beliefs on that? I I believe that if you believe that, then absolutely you should definitely do that. You want to have the best experience possible, and um, but not everybody does believe that. For me. I don't believe it. I don't say goodbye to most people I talk to in a day. And so I don't believe I need to or would have to on a board. But really, it's going to work based on what your beliefs are. So um, I always tell people, you know, they're like, well, can't be can't be too safe. You know, do it anyways. <laughs> then sure. You know, okay. but it's it's not really a rule to do that. No. Uh, OK. Mm-hmm. Most of the most of the rules that people tend to think of are really just, you know, uh, what feels right to them. You know, if I was to tell you the, the real rules of the board, you would laugh because it, it's all about marketing and it's really marketing it as a dating tool. You know, the rules on the board say it's best played between a man and a woman with the board on your lap. So now, you know, your knees are touching, you're in a dim lit room, you're unchaperoned. And so that's really you know why that Ouija board in 1920 is so popular is <laughs> because it's more of a dating game. But those are the, those are the rules in 1920. Um, so today, when people think about you know saying goodbye or using it alone or in a graveyard, uh, those are all or you know just really personal preference and probably from superstitions or stories that they've heard. And um, you know it's going to work based on what you believe on those. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really interesting because I mean I know my cousin knew that that it was a dating game initially i did not so that's news to me uh but with that said it's it's very intriguing to see how much has changed over these last you know however many years a hundred years or so uh that has really shaped the way we see the ouija board um you know going from something like a dating game to something that you can easily reach out to loved ones or learn about whether loved ones are safe uh, on in enemy territory uh, to being something based on pop culture that could be relatively negative and conjured up something really dark that can be haunting you for God knows how many years. Uh, it's just really weird how easily this thing has changed uh, based on the culture. Yeah. I mean, there, there were negative stories from the very beginning you know, in the museum, I talk about the first suicide by 1900 and murders by the 1930s, all associated with the Ouija board. But most people didn't view it that way. You know, when you when you see in the museum how it's portrayed in pop culture, like I said, those magazine covers, dating tool. That's really how it goes uh, almost until like the really the early 1970s. And really that movie, The Exorcist, did change quite a bit of 
people's views on the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. That specific, you know, superstition that people have that you shouldn't use it alone comes from that movie. Prior to that movie, you know, during a war, women would use them alone to speak to a deceased husband, a father, you know, brother or son. And that movie really changed. That superstition certainly comes about and just changed a lot of people's uh, views about it. And what I think is pretty fascinating about that is in the movie, you know, they never clearly tell you that's how she became possessed. Was she used the Ouija board alone? So, you know, you got to think this is before cable TV. It's before video rental. You see that movie in the theater, which, don't forget, people were getting sick in the theater and ran out of the theater when that came out. But you see that scene, and, you know, a couple years later, someone pulls a Ouija board out at a party. You might be like, yeah, I don't really feel like using it. But you don't know why you're thinking that. It mm-hmm. just subliminally, you know, plants itself, that seed plants itself in your head. And so, you know, that movie certainly inspired more horror movies to be made from it. And, you know, the Vietnam War ended not too long after that. And that was really the last major war for the U.S. that had a draft. And so, you know, less people are really using it for the positive, you know, trying to get those answers, you know, reach their deceased loved ones. And now more people are just kind of, hey, is anybody here? Anyone want to talk? Or, you know, like I said, using it as a dare game or something like that. Uh, So that movie helps to change what most people now view about the Ouija board. Okay. So bringing that movie up, um, do you think the satanic panic from the 70s and 80s kind of had also a negative impact on the talking boards? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that comes out after The Exorcist as well. And, um, you know, I've seen lists. I don't know how accurate it is, but I've seen the Ouija board on the same band list as uh, Dungeons and Dragons and yoga. <laughs> so, But <laughs> certainly uh, it, it makes the list in... Um, you know, what's funny about that time frame is uh, if I had to guess the second most popular country that these boards were made, you know, were, were popular in, it's probably Mexico. And most of the Mexican boards that I've seen all tend to be early 80s, almost like Satanic Panic era uh, boards. So, okay. Well, we are, of course, unfortunately, at the end of our episode. Uh, so one, there, there are two things I want to ask you to do. One is, of course, uh, just tell everybody where they can find you. Um, and the other is, uh, what is one thing that you'd like to leave our listeners in regard to the Ouija board? Like, if you could tell anybody just one thing about the Ouija board, that's probably most important. What would that be? All right. Well, let's see. Uh, you can visit me, obviously, Salem Witchboard Museum on uh, Instagram and Facebook and the website. And also, um, if you're in Salem, I suggest coming 127 Essex Street, uh, the heart of downtown Salem, close to the Hawthorne Hotel. Um, and as far as one thing you'd want to know about the Ouija board, it's probably... Jeez, um, that's a great question. You kind of stumped me. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... You have to edit this. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> damn. I, I guess for me, I, I would I would explain it that I love everything about this Ouija board. I love the good and the bad, and you can't have one without the net without the other. And so, you know, do I think people should use the board responsibly? Yes. But am I kind of glad when people don't use the board responsibly? Absolutely. I want to hear those stories. People come to the museum to tell me those stories. So. Uh, to me, I just love everything about the Ouija board, and um, 
But if you want to use it and you're nervous, then you should probably do some more research on it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, John, for joining us today. It's, it's been a pleasure having you with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, that was John Kozak, uh, founder, manager of the Ouija Board Museum. Eric? Founding member. Did you say manager? Uh, you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fo- well, founding me- he's founding member uh, and treasurer of the Talking Board Historical Society, and he is the founder of the, uh, of the Salem Witch Board Museum and owner. So make sure you check that out. Um, if you're in Salem, I do encourage you guys to check it out because Eric has told me about it, and I definitely need to make that a stop once I'm able to get out to Salem and, and all that area as well. Um, but uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear a quick commercial, and we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratooth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we just got off the line with John. I'm so sorry. We're going to have to edit that. (laughs) We're keeping that in. (laughs) Oh, great. Uh, We just got off off the line with John Kozik. Uh, He is, of course, the owner of the museum and funding member and treasurer of the Talking Board Historical Society. Uh, Now, you guys, if you, I mean, I'd imagine if you're this far into the show, you've listened to the beginning. I don't know why people would press play and then skip forward, but I don't know. I don't know. They don't want to listen to us do the intro or yeah. talk about our nonsense that we usually do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, last October, you guys know I went to Salem. Uh, we we did an entire episode uh, on that during our Halloween special uh, mm-hmm. with Kat. And, you know, this the Salem Witchboard Museum was one of those things that I, I didn't see my first day. And thankfully, I went back to Salem for a second day and I happened to come across it, which is really weird because I had gone into this. So this the museum sits behind another store, um, like it's within the store in a back room. And so I'd gone into the store the day prior and didn't notice it. And then the second day I did. So I was like, well, shit. Yeah, definitely stopping in there. <laughs> uh, and it, it was it's really it's really cool. You know, after all these years of like talking about it, using the board, uh, you know, we, we've talked, had so many episodes about the Ouija board uh, just between Justin and I. And of course, with guests who've, who've used it or who have had some sort of experience with it or no, but somebody who has. Um, it was kind of cool to see the full history uh, uh, of this board. Uh, at this museum. So as Justin said prior to, to the break, if you're going to Salem, be sure to check it out. You can also check out a lot of the photos and stuff on Instagram. Uh, there's a ton of stuff on there. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool, man. And I'm glad that he, he did, uh, address basically what I had asked him about selling it to kids that, you know, it, I actually never realized that it was pa- or uh, marketed as a, a game from the very beginning, um, even going way back before it was actually patented and all that. Um, but with the Christmas right around the corner, which technically this is our Christmas kickoff episode because we unfortunately were not, not able to record last week. Um, but... Uh, if if you're gonna get a Ouija board for your kids, at least do some research. Um, educate children on that it is a a tool and that it needs respect before they're just going out and you know basically bringing up some negative entity, demon or otherwise, whatever you want to call it. And not uh, not protecting themselves or or uh, treating the board with respect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think going in and using a Ouija board is very similar to what we've talked about with in Ghost Hunting One Hundred and One, and that is mm-hmm. going in with a particular mindset that is clearing any negative energy from yourself, not walking in with negative thoughts, things like that. Anything that's going to help ward off any negative entities from attaching itself to you. Uh, you know, one thing that I wouldn't say we learned in in the whole study of paranormal history, uh, but it's something that I think is pretty common knowledge amongst many of our peers, is that spirits don't travel alone, at least, you know, not on purpose. They, they I think most of them think they are, but there's always another spirit traveling not far behind. Uh, so where there's one, you're probably going to find more than that uh and when it comes to opening doors it's hard to discern exactly what that door is that you're opening because you may be trying to open it to something good and accidentally open a door to something darker uh so that is something you really have to be careful of um but other than that i guess have fun if you're gonna do it right (laughs) enjoy it (laughs) i'm actually so one thing that I was thinking about, because, you know, we we're talking about whether to use the Ouija board alone or with other people. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I actually think the idea of using it alone is a safer bet than using it with other people because you don't know the intention of those other people that you're with necessarily. Right. Um, so that is that is something that I think I know we've talked in the past, like you should always do it with somebody else. But now this whole conversation has got me rethinking that. So maybe that's something to, to think about. Well, in the past, actually, we've said don't do it because, well, right, (laughs) because, and and this is why, because people don't, don't go into it with good intentions. I hate saying it that way, but we don't, we go in it. Oh, it's a game, you know, nothing's going to happen. Um, don't don't give any respect to the board at all or any entities that would be here in said interacting with you. Um, my my opinion of the Ouija board has changed over the years, especially even since starting Paratruth Radio. Um, it is a tool. It is something that can be used 
to communicate with the other side. But my my biggest concern, and John did not really alleviate my concerns about this, is it being patented towards children. Um, yes, originally it was patented more towards lovers and, and all that stuff, but Hasbro, or I'm sorry, not Hasbro, Parker Brothers is um, basically out for the almighty dollar. They're out to sell this thing um, without any regard of what it's going to do some to somebody. Like John said, if you have any type of negativity towards the board, obviously you should not use it because that's what you're going to attract. Right. And uh, that that's one thing that uh, Parker Brothers is not going to tell you is that you absolutely have to have good intentions with it and have have absolute respect for the board itself. Right. But with that said, assuming you don't believe in any of this, that the board can work or that you you don't even believe in the spiritual realm. I mean, you're going in without any intention whatsoever, just a game. Is there a chance that nothing would happen anyway? I mean, if you're going in with that kind of mindset, you're already tuned out to or closing yourself off. For some people, that might just be a thing, especially for some of these kids uh, who think it's nothing more than a game. And they're not actually opening doors the way we think they might be. Well, John, I mean, mentioned that himself. He doesn't think he can do anything with the board like his grandmother could. And so he feels it, it's not going to interact with him at all or not as well as with his grandmother. So, yeah, I, I, I truly think that if you go into it thinking nothing is going to happen, then nothing's going to happen. Um, right. Using the Ouija board when we were kids, I had kind of started out that way as nothing's going to happen and it would never move or we would be doing with somebody else and their thoughts thoughts were nothing's going to happen or they would just intentionally move the planchette to to answer the questions that you know that mm -hmm. they're doing um or asking so i I do have to tend to agree with you that if you're going to do it, e either do it by yourself or do it with somebody that you trust is going to have good intentions or have an, at least an open mind that you're going to be interacting with something or, or somebody from the other side. Right. Absolutely. So, so, I guess we're on the same page. With that said, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time to wrap up this show uh, for real this time. Uh, and so, I mean, it's, it's at this point, it's December. I mean, Christmas is a couple weeks away, a few weeks away, uh, which, again, we've said it every month since September. It's crazy how fast it's all moving um right but with that said we've got plenty of stuff to share with you guys uh for our christmas episodes and of course the big celebration of christmas itself and then probably one of our biggest celebrations aside from halloween which is new year's 
so we do have some good stuff coming along shortly. Uh, but I don't know, any housekeeping things, anything you wanted to share that's happening this month or? Um, well, the, with the release of this episode, it's December 4th. Um, we've got literally a week to do some, some stuff for, for Christmas. And then <laughs> that following week is our Christmas episode. And then, um, actually we may even release our, our new year's episode a little bit early as well, because well, it'll be new year's day when we release it, but new year's it's been Eve, a while since we've done a new year's day release. Well, yeah, but, um, I mean, we'll do our traditional, uh, all Lang Zine, uh, song at the end of our new year's episode. And, uh, we're hoping to to do a roundtable. It just really depends on how quickly we can plan stuff. Um, if not, it'll just be me and Eric for our Christmas episode, possibly for the New Year's episode, unless we decide to bring in some uh, non-paranormal friends, I guess. Yeah. We'll Actually, say. I haven't had a couple ideas, so that's something we'll talk about after we, we close this out here. But All right. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of great stuff coming up. Um, unfortunately, with my new job that I just started, um, I've been a little behind on things, but uh, things are finally calming down to where I can actually start recording regularly again. Um, so we've got so much great stuff coming for you guys. Christmas is right around the corner. And uh, holy crap. We're almost in 2023. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> 2022. I mean, we, we've talked about in the past about how quickly stuff is going by. Even the whole 2020 pandemic, 2021 kind of post pandemic. And now we're in 2022. 2022 has flown by. Yeah. Like, it, what? it feels it's like it. Of- has not been more than a day before that we were celebrating 2022 <laughs> and now we're in 2023. Yep. And 2023 is going to go even faster because you know how it works. Oh. The older you get, the faster it moves, man. So every year. And the more technology clock. we get, I think it kind of moves even faster. Uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, with that said, folks, until next week, You'll find us right here, same time, same place. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Peace. This is
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.